Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Sweat like an ocean and his two bad eyes. He stumbles outside, coughs clouds of time onto the curb where hog lovers' Harleys once stabled 20 abreast. This program features the work of 2019 writer Gabrielle Bates. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator Kathleen Flanagan, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. I'd love to hear a little bit about your Jack Straw project. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the last days, the finishing touch mode of my first collection of poems, which are very much about the South, where I grew up. Um, They're very haunted poems, haunted by personal history, public history, landscape, animals. Um, so, So I'm really interested in finishing that up, getting that ready for publication. And also, I recently started co-hosting my own podcast called The Poet Salon. And so I think a lot of the lessons I get from Jack Straw will help in that project as well. I'm hopeful it will, um, getting more comfortable around a microphone and with my own voice. That's great. Talk a little bit about that process of organizing your collection. I feel like you've just cut straight to the heart of, like, the bane of my existence (laughs) with that question because for so long, for years now, I felt really stuck in trying to make that switch in my ways of thinking because I, I did think for so long just poem to poem. Each poem was its own world, and, of course— poems talk to each other. Of course, there were recurring images and voices and tones across poems, but in trying to think of them as a collection, it's been extremely difficult. And I've many times done the thing where I print out all the poems and I shuffle them on the floor and read them in new orders. I've exchanged them with dear friends who I trust to give me feedback on different orders, and it just never feels right. And I I keep taking poems out and adding poems in and revising and changing the order, and I am just having to trust that eventually things will click enough to where I'll feel really good about sending it out. Because I think often there's this perception that, you know, things have to be done so quickly and you know, you're late, you're late, you're late. And I don't know. I think I struggle a lot with trying to rush and versus being patient with myself. I keep going back uh, lately to this great quote in Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet where he talks about being an artist isn't about days marking time that way. It's about ripening like a tree and mm-hmm. letting the sap come as it will and trusting that the seasons will change because I I am a very driven, goal-oriented person, and I think sometimes to the detriment of my artistic self. I think Mm. I'm I'm having to learn how to be kinder to the part of me that makes art. And I used to be really frustrated with that part of my personality that feels the need to work on several 
different creative projects at once. And this is the year, let it be known, 2019 is the year when I stop wishing I was a different type of artist and I just embrace the type that I am. So I am an artist who likes to work on lots of different things at once. And each project inspires, um, excites, contributes material towards the others uh, in sometimes really wonderful ways and sometimes annoying ways. So while I'm working on this first poetry collection, I'm also working on a collection of poetry comics, which is a very interesting new genre that I love that relies heavily on the interplay of text and visual images. And I'm also working on a novel, which I'm trying not to talk too much about because I've noticed that every time I talk about it, I can't work on it for a while. Mm. Uh, But the poetry comic collection is close enough to done to where I can talk about it quite a bit. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the world of poetry comics revealed itself to me when I was in grad school, thanks to a friend and peer named Catherine Bresner. And she had learned of it from Bianca Stone, who published a book of poetry comics, and I think is largely seen as sort of the mother of this new genre, uh, which still feels very new and like it's being formed as we speak. And my poetry comics tend to be black and white. Lots of people have described them as quite surreal. I don't know. There are some recurring figures and, and themes, but really I'm just interested in how how the text and the images can give different information or adjacent information and and what it does to our brains when we read something that requires that sort of thought. Um, And I'm also really interested in the way that a poetry comic, like comics themselves, are a very inviting form. They're they're not highfalutin, Mm -hmm. if you will. um, They're inviting to people of all ages. I feel like often poetry, capital P poetry, can be off-putting or scary to people. And I think, I like to think that poetry comics might invite some people into poetry who might otherwise think this is not for me. So you described your comics as sort of surreal. How would you describe your poetry? I would describe my poetry as image-driven. I, I think I'm really, I, I rely heavily on a tactile, uh, visceral sensibility. There's often a tone of threat or menace. The landscape and atmosphere of the poems is the South, but it's also a different version of the South. It's a nighttime version of the South. It's a slightly weird, strangeified version. Um, there's there's this sense that keeps arising that we're not quite activating in the real world, but maybe in more of a nightmarish version um, that's quite close to the literal, but not exact. There's a lot of family poems. It's a, it's a coming-of-age book in many ways in that there's a lot about family, a lot about childhood, a lot about daughterhood that's being investigated. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you were drawn into writing. I definitely came into writing as a reader. So when I was a kid, I was 
constantly reading novels. I read novels voraciously. And then when I was a teenager, I started really studying those novels, annotating things, um, marking what I thought were the most magical passages and trying to figure out how they were working. And then in college, that's where I really discovered the world of contemporary poetry, um, thanks to a professor named Keicha Kuypers, who just introduced me to contemporary poets, and I was hooked. I've been hooked ever since. She radically changed the course of my life, I think, with that mm. one course. And I've been writing poetry ever since. I just didn't realize how alive and wild and weird and of this moment poetry was allowed to be until she showed me. I'm wondering who you're reading now that is influential. I'm finding myself drawn lately to books of poetry in particular, books that are providing a what feels like a very human voice telling a human story. For a while, I was very interested in what I think of as the opposite, uh, books that were very interested in investigating explicitly how language works and grappling with language, very cerebral, heady uh, experimental poetics. And lately, I've, I've swung widely in the opposite direction. So I've been really enjoying Sharon Old's collection, Stag's Leap, which is very much about going through her divorce. I've been rereading Natasha Trethewey's Thrall, which has some really gorgeous poems about her father and her troubled relationship with him. And Jeffrey Davis's first book, Revising the Storm, Similarly, it's a first book, it's a coming of age, but all of these books have some very scene-driven poems that I'm finding very exciting and enjoyable. Poems that are deeply intelligent, but not forefronting that almost academic thought. It's really centering the human experience and beauty. Now, we'll hear a selection from Gabrielle's live reading. Birmingham, Mars. Frost slunk in a coil up umbilical tether, suspended in the space between Birmingham and Mars. As James Baldwin points out, it's not so far as white people elsewhere like to think. Birmingham, Mars. Feet on pebbles, I faced the Pacific, catching spray with the back of my head. Too slick to be water, what gaped in the weather. Birmingham, Mars. When strangers in the car say, where are you from? I steal for surprise say, Birmingham, Mars. Only I know it, roaming the streets, seal in my blubber, rust in my sheets. I am a citizen of Birmingham, Mars. The angel Gabriel hacks at his scars. What am I of? Birmingham, Mars. I've been working on a series of poems that 
time travels through a particular part of Birmingham called Southside or the Five Point Circle. Uh, it starts in 1780 and it leaps century to century until 2180. And I thought I would just share one of those uh, with you tonight. So this is 1980 um, and it's the closest of the series that takes place to now. 1980. For eight straight days, red surpasses the century mark in mercury thermometers. Birmingham boils, and my father, 19 years old, buys himself a bar with what small song he saved. The front doors, bolted shut since a double murder, dust, thumb thick on the floor. Where devil's disciples used to lift soapy pints and shoot pool to the frantic blues of George Thorogood, my father sweeps in the dark. It's too hot for lights. Sweat like an ocean and his two bad eyes, he stumbles outside, coughs clouds of time onto the curb, where hog lovers Harleys once stabled twenty abreast. He has no business owning any establishment. No big plan but for a place where his buddies can drink. A boy with fat knuckled hands, which have yet to touch the woman with my mother's face, who will hurt him just as much as he can handle, then a little more. Uh, I was raised primarily by my dad, but my mom was always in the area, and I'd spend certain weekends with her. And when I was about nine years old, she bought a building downtown that was formerly a meatpacking plant and had been abandoned since then, meatpacking plant being a fancy word for slaughterhouse, uh, of course. And that's where we lived for a while uh, and where my little brother was born. And this poem is about that time. The Omni. It was the year of hope against all reason. What little windows there were gnawed the sun before it could spill in, so we felt our way mostly up the building's five stories. I am younger every minute, a child's hands blackened with the dust of everything touched. Little silhouette in shorn hair, skirting piles of machinery, preparing her throat to clear. White pigeons swarmed, a loud, dreamlike whirr, only there, in that one room, as if the light itself created a kind of containment. I wasn't smart, just obedient. Maybe someday the difference won't favor those birds. My mother still evangelizes how, after draining every account she had, she had all the money she needed for the down payment, minus one cent. And then there, molding in the cup holder, a penny. I dreamed her five fingers converging on that single coin, like a flower in reverse, returning to bud in the car console her whole body readying to swell, woke to her saying, it's time, get your things. A flashlight to guide us down the stairs, 
Plastic knives tip down in jars of real mayo, like swords and stones awaiting their rightful king. She drove, crowning to the hospital, steering wheel barely squeaking by the bulge of her wild hope. A mother and a daughter taking turns dialing a number no one would answer, hoping against all reason. Like the man who came by every other day to try and sell us things we'd thrown out, he'd say, I'll give you a good deal, sisters. Y'all need this here. I know you do. I'd like to end with an older poem because it's about my wedding anniversary, which just recently passed. Uh, so shout out to love and commitment and time. This is called, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's called Anniversary. A little boy starched white collar, an insect traversing the curve. Dusky pearls strung on a wire in my hair wound low in a bow at the cerebellum, the brain's wing-shaped center for balance. It's April. There's no balance here. Not in the arch twisted from an ice storm struck tree, the bluegrass grabbing my lace, scent of smoked meats mingling with the sugar-sweet confections just burst on the apple's limbs. Hands, fingers, ring of rough steel he bought for $35, whose ends don't fuse but overlap like an overbite. The symbolism isn't lost on a woman like me. There is a beginning and an end, April, and one of us will go before the other. Bees as a species are already dying, but we have tons. There, today, we have a live bee for every lapel. A bride should have a veil, they said, and so I bought one, paid and left it, like the skin of a fetal lamb piled still on the counter. It was too finely made and traditional to be mine. The sun dims and it's April again. I can see a fire station now from our bed. Sirens come and go all night. On his left hand, the steel is gentle as the shadows emergencies cast on our wall, a procession of soft, bright bursts. As we pulled away in the long black car, our friend who would die the next year tried to hand us a lit sparkler through the window. What happens to our questions when we die? I wondered aloud on our wedding night about the origin of daylight saving time, and he told me. It's dawn, dark, April. He blinks and apple blossoms fall all over my face. What's the name for the way we wake to sirens and each roll inward on the frame? It wasn't us this time, I mean. We are still sleeping in our bed, alive, candles cool and unlit, wicks buzzing. 
Small menace makes sweet the body of April, and that's the meaning of bees. But the mind's shape is simpler. When I say he hammered the ring to make it fit, I mean the ring fits. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, Tom Stiles, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by the Bird Tribe Orchestra, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2019 curator of this program is Kathleen Flanagan, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back-fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks go to Larry Lawrence for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>